Hi and welcome to my latest podcast. I'm super excited you're joining me as we go through the Gospel of John and we look at Jesus through the eyes of one of his best friends and we come across some incredible theological gems, some wonderful stories and just this amazing perspective that's really different from the other three Gospel writers. So buckle up and join me, Paul White, as we saunter through the book of John. Lord, we love you. Well, Lord, I pray that even those who don't love you will fall in love with you as they listen to these incredible words and reflect on the most outstanding um revelation of Jesus. Lord, I pray that our hearts will be wide open today to receive you. In Jesus' name. Amen. So chapter 7 says, after this Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. Some translations will call it feast of tabernacles, which may be more familiar to some of us. So the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. So his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea that your disciples may see the works you're doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Now let's just pause a second. There is a teaching which has been held tenaciously by certain sections of the church, particularly the Catholic Church, that Mary was a virgin all the way through her life, that she remained a virgin, perpetual virginity. The Bible doesn't support that idea, um, and certainly the tone of this scripture suggests that um, Jesus had brothers from uh, from presumably Mary, his mum, and his dad, Joseph, and uh, so it seems very much borne out. And the way the way this is put, it says not even his brothers believed in him. It seems to be, well, surely those closest to him would know him best. They would surely believe in him if anyone was going to. And it seems to be very much this. These are his biological brothers or and the word can mean brothers and sisters or brothers or sisters. Uh, but it seems that his immediate family, his um, closest relations other than his mum, didn't believe in him particularly. And they're somewhat sceptical. And the way they put this is, Jesus, if you want to become a celebrity, you need to get to the place where it's all happening. You need to go to the place where people are. It's no good doing all these things in the little tin pot town area of Galilee. You need to get into Jerusalem, get into Judea, get into the kind of where the elite are and show yourself there. And if you're trying to do something publicly, why are you doing it in secret? <clears throat> Morning, Deepak. And Jesus said to them, verse six, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. <laughs> this is so interesting. Listen to how he puts this. He says, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I'm not going up to the feast for my time has not yet fully come. And after saying this, he remained in Galilee. 
And we know he did go up to the feast, but his time was not yet fully come. And so Jesus was operating on a very different timeline to what the natural mind may have perceived as the right way forward. So Jesus, number one, was not trying to become a celebrity. He was not trying to be famous. He was not trying to start a world religion. He was following the guidance and the clear step-by-step path that his father in heaven was delivering to him. I'm sure he had an overall idea of where it was going, but day by day by day, it says that he said, I only do what I see the father doing. And he would have known that restraint in his own spirit, just saying, no, this isn't the time. This isn't the time. And he just held back. And then when when he had the release from the Holy Spirit to go, then he went. <clears throat> but he's saying to his brothers, listen, this is fine for you. Any time's good for you. You're not going to the world doesn't hate you. You can follow your own careers, do your own thing. That's fine. But the world hates me. And here's why. Because I'm calling it out on its whole moral system. I'm saying its deeds are evil. And so there is a power at work that wants to destroy me that doesn't want to destroy you. And so Jesus is not trying to use natural methods to gain popularity and to build a following. He's not trying to see if he can get a million followers on Instagram or something. He is pursuing an agenda, a heavenly agenda that is set by God the Father. Now, those of us who are called by God to walk with Jesus will find that same constraint, that there is a time scale and a timing that we need to be in tune with God over, Otherwise, we will fall into the trap of just pursuing a kind of natural agenda. And there are many even, I think that for many of us, the temptation to become an Internet celebrity or a social media celebrity or whatever is there. I think particularly for younger people, younger generations growing up through this is what they this is their normal now. And so they're they're kind of like perilous, um, <laughs> I think it's. It's a perilous trap to fall into, to want to be famous on the Internet and on on social media and so on. And we just need to make sure those of us who are really wanting to walk with God and wanting to follow the agenda of the Holy Spirit, we need to listen to the timescales of heaven. Listen to that timescale of the Holy Spirit. Morning, Juan. Buenos dias, amigo. And uh, so the the world's agenda, the world's timing, the world's sense of urgency is very different to the timing of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes God holds us back and he holds us back and he holds us back. And it seems like our whole life is slipping away and he's holding us back and he's saying your time has not yet fully come. So just you hold your horses a little bit. And your time will come. And so after saying this, he remained in Galilee. So he held back. Verse 10. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. So Jesus was operating, as we've said, on a very different kind of set of values than his brothers. And the Jews, verse 11, were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people, while some said he is a good man, 
Others said, no, he's leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. So he was the kind of person everyone was hoping was going to be there, including the kind of high up Jews and the, the religious leaders. They were kind of hoping to get him so they could get him in a corner and expose him as a fraud or something. Um, but or the common people, the ordinary people who were there were just really excited and hoping to see Jesus and were obviously expecting that because this was such a significant feast that he would be there. Now, interestingly, the Feast of Tabernacles is one of the feasts that I, I love the sound of because they basically were re required by the the law and the tradition to camp out build a little tent somewhere in the garden or out on a piece of field somewhere and camp out and celebrate and they celebrated for seven days straight and they ate good food drank good wine they were not allowed to work they had to just have a lovely time have a party have barbecues and so on and so on and I love the sound of that but the purpose of it was to remind them of their time as a nation when they lived in the wilderness after coming out of slavery in Egypt. So this this whole, all the feasts of the Jews are about their identity and about that process of God's dealing with them. And it's so interesting because Jesus was just yesterday, or in chapter six, talking about the bread that comes down from heaven. He said, I'm the bread of life. And the um, the time in the wilderness where they ate that bread that came down from heaven, they were camping in the tent. So this is all very timely. The, the kind of significance of what Jesus is saying is not just significant because Jesus said it and it's important, but it was significant because of the timing and everything else that's going on in the, the, the kind of national um, calendar and so on. And so um, so there's this expectation that Jesus is going to show up. Everyone wishes he was there, but he's not there. Doesn't appear to be. He's coming private. Verse 14, about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up to the temple. So here we go. Now his time has come. So he is there in the temple, right in the center of it or right in the thick of it, began teaching. Verse 15, the Jews therefore marveled, saying, <clears throat> how is this man? How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? The word there is really interesting. It literally is he knows his letters. He's how does he get this knowledge? How does he get this kind of this this academic knowledge that he seems to have when he's actually not studied? He's not been to one of the, the proper schools or uh, that they would have known of. And so how is this man, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? Well, Jesus did study, but he just didn't study at one of their kind of recommended schools. He studied um, literally day by day by day, reading the scriptures, fellowshipping with God, walking with the Holy Spirit. And he had that knowledge and insight and revelation of the um, the scriptures direct from heaven and this is what he says now he says verse 16 Jesus answered them my teaching is not mine but it is his who sent me anyone if anyone's will is to do God's will he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority the one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true and in him there is no falsehood. Uh, 
So Jesus is saying, listen, I'm speaking from a higher authority. I'm speaking not on my own authority. This is not my own idea. I'm not putting out to you my own philosophy of life or my own interpretation of the scripture, my own take on history. I'm actually speaking to you from heaven. I'm speaking to you from the one who sent me. And when he says that, he is referring to God the Father. And he says... And here we are in verse 18. He says, the one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. And Jesus is very clear that he is seeking the glory of the one who sent him. And as servants of Jesus, that is our job is to seek the glory of the one who sent sent us. Jesus said, as the father has sent, sent me, even so I am sending you. Jesus has sent me. So my job is not to build a big name for myself, but to bring glory to Jesus and bring people to Jesus, to honour Jesus and to kind of make him more famous as if that were even possible. But to bring glory to him. And so the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true and in him there is no falsehood. So that's that integrity jesus saying listen my job my purpose here is to bring glory to the one who sent me has not moses given you the law yet not none of you keeps the law why do you seek to kill me the crowd answered you have a demon who is seeking to kill you so they're kind of saying you're nuts you're crazy no one's trying to kill you jesus well of course Jesus knew the hidden agenda, didn't he? Jesus knew that he wasn't a conspiracy theorist, but he did know that there was a conspiracy out to get him. And he, so they're they're trying to say, oh, you're nuts. He says, hold on a minute. Verse 21, Jesus answered them, I did one work and you all marvel at it. So he's referring to the healing of the guy at the pool of Bethesda on the Sabbath, which has got him into stacks of trouble. And um, he healed this crippled guy who couldn't walk for like had been there waiting for some miracle for 30 years. Jesus heals him in a moment and just says, get up, take up your bed and walk. And now Jesus is saying, I did this one work and you all marvel at it. And then he says, Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers, he's saying, actually, it predates Moses. It comes from the patriarchs that were before Moses, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He says, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. So the principle was, the practice was and still is to circumcise boy child on day eight of his life. So if the day eight fell on the Sabbath, they would do the circumcision on the Sabbath and Jesus is saying, you guys, you are inconsistent. You you are getting me in trouble. You're trying to put, make me bad for healing this sick guy on the Sabbath. And yet you perform circumcisions on the Sabbath. Excuse me, verse 23, it says, If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a, a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. So he's saying you are hypocritical. You are failing to see what God has done in this person's life. He's not just done a 
outward compliance with the law of circumcision, but he's completely liberated the whole man from this tyranny of being so severely disabled all his life. And some of the people of Jerusalem, therefore, said, is not this man, is not this the man whom they seek to kill? So there is clearly a a plot afoot to kill Jesus. And here he is speaking openly and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. Now, there's this kind of belief that was around at the time of Jesus that the Messiah would just appear mysteriously, boom, on the scene. The one who you're waiting for will suddenly appear. And and that was the kind of expectation that this would suddenly happen. The Messiah would suddenly appear. And so they're thinking, surely this can't be the Messiah because we know where he comes from. But there's also this question, oh, maybe... He, maybe the authorities are letting him live because they've come to believe that he is the Christ. And so there's this cl- the whole kind of seething mass of different opinions and different ideas about Jesus going on there. So Jesus proclaimed, as he taught in the temple, you know me and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, because no, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. So not only was he working on a timescale voluntarily himself, but even the powers that be couldn't preempt and couldn't jump in ahead of God's timing for Jesus. And so there's that kind of clear time timetable that... God is working to here. And so no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Verse 31. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? That's a very good question. When the Christ appears. So Jesus has done so many signs. Everyone is aware of them. And they're saying, surely the Messiah is not going to do more incredible stuff than he has verse 32 the pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him and the chief priests and pharisees sent officers to arrest him and jesus said i will be with you a little longer and then i'm going to him who sent me you will seek me and you will not find me where i am you cannot come the jews said to one another where does he where does this man intend to go that we will not find him does he intend to go to the to the dispersion there's a lot of jews had been spread out among the greeks and he says does did they say does, does he intend to go to the dispersion among the greeks and teach the greeks what does he mean by saying you will seek me and you will not find me and where i am you cannot come well jesus said something similar to his disciples didn't he he said i'm going to my father you're not going to be able to come to me and yet you will And I'm going to prepare a place for you and all that kind of thing we're familiar with. And Jesus is not planning to go on an obscure foreign teaching trip. He's just saying there's going to be a time when you're going to look for me. You won't be able to find me because I'm gone. Verse 37. So really, there is a very important point here. Seek the Lord while he may be found. The Bible says, 
look look for him while he's near. Call upon him while he's near. If he's knocking on the door of your heart, say yes to him today. Do not put it off because there will come a time when you don't have that opportunity anymore. So if you're hearing me today or whenever you're hearing this and you know that God is pulling on your heart, open the door to him. Say yes to him today because you don't know when you're going to get another opportunity. I was in just just as an aside when two missiles hit the city where we were in Ukraine um, and it was like about a kilometre away and these big, big explosions happened and big plumes of smoke sort of come up. There is that kind of, you kind of think, hmm, I don't know, what if I don't live to tomorrow? What if this is my last day? What is, what if this is the last day of my life? And you start to think of all the things that maybe you should say and the things that you want to people to understand and so on. And one of these things that I want people to understand, if this is my last day, is it might be yours as well. And we do need to say yes to Jesus in this life for it to count in the life to come. This is our opportunity. This is the testing ground, if you like. This is the point of de- the valley of decision where we get to choose whether we spend forever and ever with him or whether we are separated from him forever and ever. So make the decision today if you're listening to me. So verse 37, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out. He said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now he said This he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive for as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Once again, Jesus is using this incredible moment of the feast. It's the eighth day. It's the day when everyone's finished the actual feast, but it's got a special significance and day eight in the Bible tends to mean the new beginning a day of new beginnings it's the day of pentecost and all these other things um but jesus is saying listen there i'm if anyone believes in me what i'm going to do is pour out rivers of living water in from within them and it's so he that john tells us that he's talking about the holy spirit that hasn't yet been poured out but he's also kind of reminding them of their corporate past their history as a nation when the the rock was split open and the water poured out and they were all saved and could wash and drink and feed their animals uh, water their animals and so on and Jesus is saying I'm going to do that very thing inside of you I'm going to split open your heart and let rivers of living water pour out that will be not just for your own benefit but for the benefit of the people around you your families everybody else and John tells us that he's talking about the Holy Spirit and many of us who have received the Holy Spirit we had to say that's exactly what happens God brings this river this fountain of living water bubbling up inside us that pours out and affects the people around us which is amazing let's just wrap this up then real quick verse 40 it says when they heard these words some of the people said 
this is really the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? Well, of course, they're all right, aren't they? They're all saying the right things, but they just don't realise how how that all comes together in Jesus. And so there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the, the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, why did you not bring him? And the officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. Now that still remains true to this very day. No one ever spoke like this man put that with the other statement they said when the when the the um christ comes will he do more signs than this one than jesus and no one ever spoke like this man jesus is clearly a man apart john has said he's got this incredible knowledge this learning but he's never been to a proper school he's never been to an academic learning center this is truly, no one ever spoke like this man. There has never been and never will be a man like Jesus. He is the one and only. He is God, the one and only. He is a total one-off. The Pharisees answered them, have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But the, this crowd that does not know the law is accursed Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to who'd been to Jesus before he'd come in secret, hadn't he? We've already heard his story. So Nicodemus, who had gone to him before, who was one of them, he was a Pharisee, said to them, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? And they replied, are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. So basically they're saying, Nicodemus, you've been poisoned by him. You're, you've become one of his followers. And, you know, just if you did your homework and read the scriptures, you'd know that no prophet comes from Galilee. Here's the challenge today. That no man has ever spoken like this man. This is the day. This is the day we're sure of. We're sure of this moment that we're in now. If you have never opened your heart to Jesus, I am urging you with everything that's in me, open your heart to him today and receive him. Have an amazing day, everyone. God bless you.